Today we'll be looking at Psalm number 27. If everybody could uh, either open a paper Bible or pull it up on your phone according to your preference and have it ready. And just keep it open so you can reference it as we speak this morning. Psalm number 27 of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation, for my father and my mother have forsaken me. But the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So the Lord has promised that we will have trouble in life. So let's begin and look at David's life, the author of this psalm. sounds like he wrote it out of a time of great trouble, and he did. So what's the first thing we know about David? He's a man after God's own heart. Bathsheba and that whole... Bathsheba the whole thing. What's the first thing we know about him? Not the biggest thing, the first thing we learned about him. Shepherd? Shepherd? Despised son. Despised son. How old is he? Teenager. He's a teenager. He's a kid. When we meet David in 1 Samuel uh, 15 or 16, he's a kid. And uh, his father has sent him out to sleep and live with the animals. Ouch. He wasn't a regular member of the household. He was rejected by his father and his brothers. Where was his mother? She was not there comforting him. 
we don't see her. He's a kid from a poor family. He's belittled by his family. As he sleeps outside with the animals, he's in danger day and night from lions and bears. And he thinks about scripture a lot. That's David's childhood. Who knows what this is? Did somebody say a wooden uh, femur? No? This is a war club, or a rod, according to Psalm 23. This is standard equipment for shepherds. Why do shepherds need a war club designed for cracking skulls? To kill things. Shepherds have a dangerous job. David is a kid. He's a kid out there alone, and this is what he's got. This, and probably a sling with rocks. Right? How many of you have ever been close to a lion? Anybody? Has anybody ever been close to a... Yeah? Has anybody ever been close to a bear? My wife? Susanna? Elijah? So I was close to a bear once. Uh, I was with my wife, and I was holding Daniel and Lily, and a sow black bear with three cubs following her came lumbering up onto the trail right in front of us. They were probably 50 feet away. So when you have a mama bear with her cubs, that's, that's when you get afraid. I was afraid. I had no weapon. I didn't have so much as a wooden stick. Wouldn't have done me much good. I'm not a fighter. <laughs> Wish I were, right, in that situation. And as she lumbered towards us with her big muscled shoulders rolling and her head down, I was thinking, this, this looks like trouble. As we backed up, fortunately, even though she was getting closer while we backed up, she turned away and let her cubs into the woods and then came out for one last look for us, which was as scary as when we first saw her ears pop up in the brush. It didn't even attack me. I didn't even get within... 30 feet of it. David was a kid out there in the hills with a bunch of lambs. And when a lion or a bear, by the way, lions and bears have big paws with sharp claws. If they slash you or whack you in the head, like, there go your innards. These are very dangerous animals. He's a kid. He's got one of these. And he doesn't have his dad or his older brothers, any of them, backing him up like he should have. He's just there alone, thinking about the scriptures, trying to find comfort and hope in them. This is a hard childhood. He got so close to these lions and bears that when they picked up a lamb, he went after them with his club and grabbed them by their mane or their fur and struck them and killed them. How close was he to their deadly claws? Like this close. He was within an inch of death, day after day, night after night, during his childhood. When did the lions and bears come out and run off with the sheep? Are they often nocturnal hunters? Yes. Is this kid alone in the hills at night with deadly, dangerous animals? That's pretty scary. Do you think he struggled with fearful thoughts? Yeah. Out of his heart comes Psalm 27. So then what happens to David next? 
This prophet Samuel shows up at his door knocking, right? What happens? He tells him you're going to be king. First, though, he, he talks to his dad, and he's like, I'm here to anoint your son, and the Lord's going to tell me who it's going to be, to be the next king over the country. This is not a, like a, high, a family of high standing. And so, of course, he brings out his eldest. Nope, it's not him. Next one? Nope. All his brothers are standing in a row. Where's David? He's not there. His family didn't think it was worth calling him in from the fields where he is with the animals by himself. Do you think this kid struggles with rejection issues? Yeah. Eventually, Samuel, at the leading of the Lord, passes by all of David's older brothers, and he's like, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. Like, do you have another one? And they're like, yeah, well, no. Well, I mean, like David, but like, he, he didn't count him like as much of a whole person. Imagine growing up under that if you didn't, and some of you did. This is a tough childhood. This kid struggles with real things. Out of his heart will come Psalm 27. So David's life changed dramatically that day, sort of. The Holy Spirit rushed on him when he was anointed king. He already had some courage. He already had the encouragement of the scriptures. He, he was a troubled kid with a hard life, and he just got, he just got help and strength. But what changed? Did his job change? I don't think so. I think his dad and brothers were upset about it, and I think they sent him back out with the animals. So what happens next? He's a, he's a teenager, um, and he gets a job, doesn't he? A second job. He doesn't give up his first job. What's his next job? Again? Taking food to his brothers, and right before that, maybe? Musician, servant of the king. Yeah. So the king of Israel is this guy who is demonically oppressed. He's troubled. He goes into these fits of being upset, and he can't calm himself down. This guy becomes his boss. Remember, remember what was special about Saul when he was being chosen as king back at the beginning of 1 Samuel? Head and shoulders taller than everybody else. Saul is a giant, okay? So, so I want you to imagine his, his boss is this really angry man who's troubled, and, and he stands like, like off the charts higher than the tallest guy David has ever seen. He's like a foot or more taller than anybody else in the country. He's a big guy. He's an intimidating guy. He's an angry guy. David gets a job playing the harp for him. So when he's not watching the sheep, he goes back and forth into Saul's house. Saul gets upset. Big guy, giant spear, fierce, angry warrior, right? He gets upset. You're a kid. You don't even have your club. Like, it'll do you any good. You've got a harp. So you're probably praying like, oh, Lord, please don't let him hit me. <laughs> Had he been hit by his brothers? Maybe. Probably. So he plays his harp. And the Spirit of the Lord, through his worshipful music, calms Saul. And Saul is calm. And then, then Saul's job, David's job is to sit there until Saul gets upset again. But he also has his second job back at home with the animals. 
So the Holy Spirit has come upon him to give him help and strength and comfort and the presence of God specially. But things were still really hard. He had not one bad job, now he had two bad jobs, and he wasn't exactly accepted by his family. Have you ever had a dangerous, angry man in your life? That man was David's boss. He's like an angry drunk. The country is at war with the Philistines. What are the Philistines like? What do we know about that people group? Goliath Goliath came from them. They worship the god Dagon, a disturbingly evil idol. They were probably child sacrificers. They don't sound very nice. I don't think I'd want to be at war with guys who sacrifice their children. What else do they do? They're Viking-ish. Yeah, they're intelligent and they have a reasonably advanced society. They're building ships and advanced in military technology. Um, they, these guys are warriors. Israel's at war with them. There's no way out. The country is in distress. David's in distress. The king of the country is in distress. All the people in the country are in distress. This isn't a very good situation. So one day, this teenager is at home with the sheep, and he gets sent on an errand. This day will change his life. Things will get a little bit better, but not really much. His uh, his dad, uh, so, so the Israelites are lined up in battle, you know, on, on hillsides with apparently a valley in between, and they're getting ready to fight, and they're going through the ceremony of preparing, you know, who's going to attack who first, right? It's, it's probably going to be the Philistines, and the Israelites are probably going to lose. And they're all terrified, and the Philistines advance their champion. Olga, you said it. He was bigger than Saul. This guy isn't the biggest guy in the country, He's the biggest guy in the known world, probably. He's like maybe nine feet tall, right? And he's not just some guy with uh, genetic gigantism who's, who's tall and lanky. This guy is a hardcore warrior, and he's been a fighter since his youth. Um, any of you cook with a cast iron skillet? Is it heavy? Does your hand get tired just cooking with it? Like, your wrist gets sore, right? So, so um, not everybody has metal at this time. Metal is like high tech. So if you have a sword or a spear, which I don't think anybody in Israel did except for Saul and his son Jonathan at the time. They're not well armed. Didn't we just say they're preparing for battle against who? The Philistines. And their champion is like, hey, Instead of all of us fighting, I'll just fight your best guy, right? Saul's their best guy. Saul's not going forward. Saul's not nearly as good as their best guy, Goliath. Goliath has armor that is made of bronze, probably the hardest and strongest uh, metal the technology allowed uh, in that generation. It's like he's covered with big cast iron frying pans. All right? Are you going to go up in a fist fight with them? You're going to hurt your hand. Are you going to go up in a fight with swords and spears? Are you going to chuck something at him? It's not going to go through his armor. And he's out there, and he's taunting them. Was the entire country, so when I say the entire country, it's all the men, except for David. Uh, David's still back home with the animals, not invited to war. 
Uh, he's taunting the people of God, and where does their hope lie? Well, their hope used to lie in Saul. Saul was this big, great king. Now we're going to be a country with a king like the other countries. Your king isn't as great as, as the Philistines' best guy. They don't stand a chance. So he's taunting the armies of the living God. And David's dad calls him in from the sheep, gives him some cheese, gives him some bread, tells him, hey, take this food to uh, your brothers at the front lines and to their commander. He does it. Uh, he drops it off with the guys keeping the baggage, and then he runs up to talk to his brothers. They're okay. You know, thank God. Uh, the fight hasn't started yet. Um, they'll probably all be dead tomorrow. And then he sees and hears Goliath coming out for his daily chanting taunt calling down foul curses on the living God and, and his followers. And what does he say? Who's that guy? That guy was a one-man army, and he had all the angry Philistine warriors behind him. David, a kid filled with the Holy Spirit, runs at the guy, slings a rock at him, it sinks into his skull, and as he falls face first in front of all of the armies of their little known world watching, he goes and he pulls the guy's sword because David didn't have anything made of metal, right? He couldn't afford it. It was too high tech. He pulls out the guy's sword out of his scabbard and chops off his head. In the ensuing battle, which looks like Philistines dropping everything they're carrying and sprinting back home, and the Israelites running after them as fast as they can, many of the Philistines who have been viciously and cruelly oppressing them are killed. Those who threaten their life on a daily basis are now being destroyed. Things are looking a little bit better, a lot better for now. The Lord's name is vindicated. The country chases down their enemies for miles and picks them off by the dozens and hundreds. Suddenly, isn't so, suddenly Israel isn't so dangerous a place to live in anymore. But things didn't get much better for David after that. If you remember this story, you might think, well, David became this great military commander. Is that a great life? Raise your hand if you've read about some wars or you know a little bit about military history. You've watched a few like military movies, right? Is it true that there's a saying, war is hell? Why is that a saying? Because it is. That's right. David became a commander in King Saul's army. And because of God, he tasted victory and success everywhere he fought. And people sang songs about how wonderfully great and successful a commander he was. However, he tasted the bitterness of having to kill people over and over. And he sometimes watched his comrades die right beside him. That part wasn't so good. Even when you win, war is still, as they say, hell. And God is with David in this season of his life too, giving him success everywhere he goes and causing people to like him. And when he's not out fighting, he's back to his other job, playing his harp for King Saul to calm him down so he doesn't freak out. Now he has two stressful jobs. He went from two hard jobs to two hard jobs. This isn't as glamorous a life as we thought. 
By now, David is roughly in his early 20s. And that's where we're going to enter his life and put ourselves in his sandals and walk with him for a while. So what happened next? Yeah, Elijah nailed it. That's exactly right. People began chanting, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. I'm not trying to interrupt you. I'm just trying to repeat it as you go. Later on, Saul became jealous of David's popularity and success in battle. All of a sudden, David is the big man in the country. Hmm. And that really hurt Saul's pride. Saul's attitude toward David turned sour. Jealousy. If any of you have ever suffered from a great deal of jealousy or been the victim of it, you know it can be pretty bad. As soon as Saul let himself become very angry and jealous of David, the next day, a harmful spirit, that's an evil spirit or a demon, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul. From who? From God. He raves and enters fits of rage, and he tries to spear David to the wall. Okay, imagine I'm Saul. I'm like a couple of feet taller, and I've got this spear that's bigger than, like I'd have a hard time holding it and balancing it, right? That's the spear that Saul is using, trying to pin him to the wall. Is Saul a warrior? Yeah. Has, has he speared people before? Undoubtedly, right? David escapes. Saul removes David from his presence, but he still serves in the army. And David has success in all his undertakings because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. And all Israel and Judah loved David. I wonder if his father had a better uh, disposition towards him or if his brothers reconciled with him. I would hope so. I kind of doubt it. His life was hard. Out of David's heart comes Psalm 27. Then Saul decides not to murder him, thinking, it's okay, he'll die in battle. I'll just keep sending him out to battle. The Philistines will get him. Do you want that guy to be your boss, hoping you die every day, thinking, you know, at least I won't be guilty of killing him? Well, he just tried to kill you, and he's about to do it again. This guy is like, it flip-flops. So then he invites David to marry his daughter. Whoa. David's like, who am I? I'm like a poor guy. I'm a nobody. Like, nobody even knows my family or my dad. Like, me? Right? And so he's getting his hopes up. He's going to get married. You know, if you're really wealthy, you probably can afford things like beauty treatments and healthy food and whatnot and a little bit more comfortable life. She's probably a really nice-looking woman, and she's probably very well-dressed, and David's going to marry this lady. David grew up wearing the rags and the hand-me-downs from all his brothers. How many brothers did he have? What? Seven brothers. Wow. I had hand-me-downs from one older brother. And sometimes they weren't that great. This is a poor smelly kid, right? He's marrying the princess. He's getting his hopes up. 
things are looking a little bit better. Is Saul family a great family? Hmm. This is still a lot better than what he had. On his wedding day, his fiancée is given to another man. Ouch. Rejection upon rejection, trouble upon trouble, danger upon danger. Then Saul gets, uh, David gets married to Saul's other daughter. Immediately, Saul tried to kill him again. David ran for his life. For about the next 10 years, things are bad for David. David spends much of the next 10 years being hunted by Saul's spies and elite soldiers. On at least one occasion, Saul calls up every able-bodied man in the entire country, drafts them, and declares war on David. <laughs> that's, really, that's really frightening. So here's David's life. Uh, can I get a volunteer? It's you. When, when I hold this, in my, this gigantic knife in my hand, I think I could carve a really big turkey with this. When I put this knife in John Bradbury's hand, John Bradbury is a trained fighter. I'm not. I'm like a peaceable guy. My occupation is nurse. I don't fight lions, bears, and Philistines. I, I, I've like not really ever been in a fight, okay, yet. So when I go to work, my life is about this hard, right? So there are some hard things about being a nurse. You see some death and some hard things. Um, when I go to work, I'm usually invited into people's living rooms. I sit down. They're usually respectful of me. And we talk about health. <laughs> right? I don't even have to stand. I don't even have to carry anything heavy. <laughs> the scariest thing... The biggest, scariest thing I face on a daily basis at work is a stray cockroach, <laughs> right? Okay, is David fighting cockroaches? No, he's in danger from the point of the sword. He's this close to a razor-sharp blade held in the hands of a capable warrior. That's his job, except his other job is trying not to get speared by Saul. And now, now that he's been cast out of Saul's house, now he's being hunted by, like, the commandos, the rangers, the seals, Delta Force. He's not sending, like, his mercenaries. He's sending his best guys out to hunt David. Have you ever, have you ever run for your life? Have you ever hid from somebody who is trying to kill you? Elijah, I see that hand. John Bradbury, <laughs> you're in big trouble. <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> Do you think David struggled with fear... Do you think he struggled with anxiety? Yeah. Out of David's heart will come Psalm 27. Okay. So the next thing that happens in David's life is he makes some friends. It's not as good as it sounds. 1 Samuel 22.2. Oh, I forgot to tell you. Uh, when, he, when he flees from Saul, um, he goes and he hides in a cave. What? Have you ever, like, camped with no tent? It was probably still reasonably comfortable. Have you ever crawled in a cave to sleep? Have you ever crawled in the hollow of a tree stump and slept there? Like, there are people that do this. It's not very nice. It's not very comfortable. There are bugs. 
There are scorpions. They're poisonous. This is the kind of places the scorpions go, right? This is where David is. Do you think, do you think he felt like complaining a little bit? Can you, can you relate to this guy in some of the difficult experiences of your life? His life is honestly probably harder than ours. His life is still something we all have experienced some or many of these things in, in our own ways. And even though it probably wasn't that bad, it also probably wasn't that good. <laughs> so he makes some friends. 1 Samuel 2, 20, uh, 22, 2. <clears throat> and everyone who was in distress and who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul, the footnote says discontented, just the cheerful kind of people you want to surround yourself with, positive energy, gathered to him about 400 men, and he became their commander and their pastor. That's a tough flock to pastor. He just got another really hard job. Was it easy to get along with these guys? Did he listen to constant dripping complaining from inside the cave because they couldn't all fit inside? Yeah. Yeah. His lifestyle is running, hiding in a cave or uh, in the ground or a cave up in the mountains or the strongholds in the wilderness, right? So the wilderness of Judah was a dry, barren wasteland. There are a few shrubs. There are a few trees. There's not a lot of water. The climate is such that uh, in the summer, you might get a day of rain a month. Would you be thirsty? You'd be thirsty all the time. And when you got water, you'd have to walk a long ways for it and carry it. Was he hungry? Was he poor? Was he afraid? Was he still rejected? Yeah, now he's rejected by his family and like pretty much everybody in the country. Like all those people who used to love him aren't going out to help him, are they? I hope a few people brought him some food. They probably did. He's surrounded by whiners and he is their pastor. The first place he goes is the cave, and he goes to live with the Philistines for safety because he's that afraid of Saul, and what city does he choose? Elijah. Gath. Gath. Is that the capital city you said? I didn't know that. Capital city of Philistia. Who's from Gath? Goliath. I bet he received a really warm welcome. Do you think they remembered his face? Yeah. So he pretends to be insane, and somehow he tricks the king and he escapes. Um, and then he, uh, he goes to live in Moab. Is Moab a friendly place to Israel? No. Moab is the enemy of Israel. They're intermittently at war through the centuries. He asks them to protect his family. Because, by the way, Saul would have killed his entire family man, woman, child, and possibly the animals. He's done this before. When David first fled, there was a priest in a little town um, who helped him, gave him some bread, gave him a weapon, and said, you know, bless you, and prayed for him. Saul found out that he'd been there and that this guy had helped him. Saul summoned the guy and all of his family in his father's household, and they come to him. He's like, did you help David? except he said it way worse and more maliciously and suspiciously than that. 
And he's like, it's not the first time I helped David. Like, he's your servant. Like, whatever, whatever he's done wrong, like, I knew nothing of it whatsoever. And he's like, all right, kill him. So they're about it. That would be like the whole congregation, like all of us, maybe more. You're the priests. This huge guy saw with his warriors are around him. He says, kill him. You're, you're a whole family of priests. And fortunately, Saul's men aren't quite willing to follow him into that much darkness and wickedness. So he tells the Edomite over here, hey, you, you're from Edom, you know, you kill him. And he does. And he's happy to do it. And he murders with one of these, everybody there. Everybody who was related to the guy that helped David. Then... Saul goes to the town, and he kills everybody who didn't come, you know, like kids. He kills the women. He kills all the animals in the town. This is a sick guy. This is what curse words were invented for, right? This is a bad dude. This is the guy who David spends about a decade running from. Out of David's heart flows Psalm 27. When I read this psalm, I'm thinking of David's day-to-day life from the time he was a boy out alone in the hills with lions and bears to fighting for his life and seeing death around him every day to being in a room with a murderous raving giant with a spear that he's throwing at you to running for his life from place to place, unable to settle down and raise his family, trying to stay one step ahead of spies, assassins, and warriors who would kill him in his sleep. I'm thinking of lion paws and bear paws being like this close to me. I'm thinking of sharp swords and spears, lots of sharp and pointy things pointing right at my vital organs, both day and night. This is David's whole life. I'm thinking about being distressed and anxious. David knows what it's like to struggle with being distressed and to have an anxiety issue you, you will find help in this psalm. He's going to teach us how to pray when we're afraid. So let's imagine we're in the desert, in the cave with David. There's no water out there. There's no food. People aren't coming to our aid. We're in a small, dark place. We're hiding. We're trying to talk in hushed voices. We we probably left children behind and we probably haven't seen them in years. The first thing you notice here is the smell of these men, the darkness, and their complaining voices. Let's look at Psalm 27, 1 through 3. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold. Did, did he know what it was like to hide out in a stronghold in the wilderness? It was the only place he could go. It was the last place on earth Saul would find him. And it was the only place he had. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, these guys are so bad he's comparing them to cannibals. That's really disturbing. These are disturbing guys. My adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, did that happen? Yeah. My heart shall not fear. 
though war arise against me. Did that happen? Yeah, the whole country declared war on David. Yet I will be confident. The NIV says, even then will I be confident. These first three verses of this psalm could be paraphrased. Could it get any worse? Repeat after me. Could it get any worse? Yes, it just did. Even now I will be confident in God. The very first thing we learn from this psalm is what to expect as followers of Christ. Hard things from the hand of God. Was God king and ruler and in control over all the things that have been happening to David from birth till now? He's the master of every molecule in creation. How much more the hearts of people? You may expect to receive some hard things from God's hand. He will lead you through them. He will be with you. 1 Samuel 23, 14 says, And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. 1 Samuel 17, uh, David is responding to Goliath before their battle, and he says, um, All this assembly will, may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So think about David's life. It's bad. It's real bad. He's in danger all the time. Verses 1 through 3. He's expressed some confidence and hope in God. Then he says, one thing have I asked of the Lord. Okay, let me just jump in and write the rest of this psalm. All right, I'm David. One thing I've asked of the Lord after reviewing my history of my life, telling my little personal testimony here. Um, One thing I've asked of the Lord, uh, all of my enemies to drop dead in a really bad way. Um, Me to just have a lot of comfort and peace the whole rest of my life. David didn't pray for that, which is, I think, kind of weird. David prays for something astonishing. David's astonishing prayer in the midst of all of this trouble, like us in the midst of all of our trouble, is, my heart is set on you, Lord. In the middle of hardship, David was more concerned with being with and enjoying God. This reminds us of Paul's directions to the church in Colossians 3, doesn't it? Set your minds on things above. Take some time and stop thinking about that and think about the eternal things. Take some time and set your heart on the things above. Put away the anger, the rage, the malice. Did David struggle with bitterness? Big time. Did he overcome it as he set his mind on the Lord? Yeah. It's an amazing testimony of forgiveness. Psalm 27, verse 4, the astonishing prayer. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple or to meditate in his temple. He's thinking about the scriptures and the mighty deeds of God and the good things he's done for Israel. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. 
He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. He's talking about being, uh, about looking forward to safety, encouragement, and worshiping together with God's people. He's drawing his attention away from that which makes him terrified. And he's drawing his attention to these things, these better things, even while he's still in the trouble. Did God take him out of the trouble? Did God take the trouble away? Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Now he's going to teach us how to seek the Lord when we're afraid. He prays, I'm crying out loud. I'm crying. I'm not sobbing quietly. Be gracious to me and answer me. So this is how we pray in the middle of trouble. We don't pray, God, make everything perfect in my life. I deserve it. Hmm. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me. Do you feel this? Has this happened to you? but the Lord will take me in. Whoever leaves father or mother or brothers or sisters, etc., for my sake and the sake of the gospel will not fail to receive in this life and the life to come a hundred times as much. You are now part of a new and bigger family, the greater family, the family of God. Your identity is more here than it is with your blood relatives. You're not alone. There's a place for you here, even if there isn't a place for you outside these walls. David then prays that God would teach him. And God does. As he lies on his bed at night, God instructs his heart. Everybody's heard Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Okay, it's not Philippians 4, 6. Uh, it's Philippians 4, 5, and 6. Philippians 4, 5 says, the Lord is at hand. How far away is your hand? That far. The Lord is right here. You are not alone in trouble. That's why we don't have to be ruled by anxiety. Is God going to fix your anxiety and your trouble and take all of that completely away? Maybe not is our hope that God will make everything in our life perfect. No, we're Christians. We didn't buy into that gospel. We bought into the real gospel. The real gospel is big enough for all of life. Like depression, anxiety and fear are very lonely experiences. But if we aren't alone, it changes the experience. It's easy to forget that God is with us when we're suffering. This psalm is a call to awake to the fact that we aren't alone. We will never get out of all the situations that distress us until we're ushered into the presence of the Lord to be with him forever. The hard things in your life will end, but they might not end soon. It will be hard until you've fought the good fight of faith, until you've finished the race, until you're wearing the crown Jesus places on your head. 
James 1.12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And in the meantime, in this life, Psalm 103.3-5, This is the God who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you, there's the crown again, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies your soul with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. You can hear David's words in Psalm 23, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. This is David talking. But remember, you will still grow old and die. God will walk among us the whole time we're growing old, and he will bring about his purposes. He will not waste any of the suffering you're going through or have gone through or are about to go through. He will use it for his glory. He will also use it for your good. Is that too much to believe? This is a call to believe that. You're going to have to take that in faith sometimes. You might have to take that in faith all the time. Our God is so big, he can bring good things out of trouble. He can even cause good things to come up out of a place that looked like nothing but evil happened there. Our God is a very great God. This is the right gospel. This is the God you're following. Don't let your expectation of God be, everything's going to get fixed. He will fix some things. He is gracious. He does care about you. He will fix some of the things in your life that are broken. He won't fix them all right now. He will be with you. And so will we. We are a family. Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. That means trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace, in the middle of the trouble and the cross that he endured for us, through which he went ahead of us to make a way for us into heaven. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you, how does the world give things to you? You get it, it's yours, and then you die, and you don't have it anymore. Or you get it, and it gets stolen, or it gets broken, or it breaks down, or it gets lost. None of the things you've been given by this world will be yours for all that long. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. As we know from the New Testament, the whole Old Testament is about Christ and points forward to Christ. How is this psalm about Christ? Jesus went through all these same things, didn't he? And in the middle of them, it says in the Hebrews, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. We need to be looking ahead to better things. 
The movies teach us that if you want to be fearless like Clint Eastwood or Arnold Schwarzenegger or tough guys like that, then you'll be like a stone. That's not biblical truth. You're going to hurt, you're going to suffer, and you're going to feel it. Seeing that David is struggling with fear and anxiety helps us by showing that it's normal to struggle with these things. Not everyone experiences fear in the same way, but we're more alike than different. We will struggle. We will continue to struggle again. We will continue to struggle until we meet again on the other side. Some of those experiences become the richest moments of grace that you would not have gotten if it were not for going through this experience. I can testify to that. God's toolbox is bigger than we think it is. God can use things that we would be terrified of to produce rich and beautiful things in us. We want the quick fix, but God is patient. There is a reason that God lists patience first in the list of description of what love is in 1 Corinthians 13. He loves you. David was not focused totally on fixing the problem in his life. Rather, his hope in God was the driving force in his life. This psalm doesn't teach us how to make up our mind to not be afraid and have courage. This psalm teaches us how to be afraid in the right way. It teaches us how to come to God with our troubles. We believe in a gospel that is huge enough to embrace all of life. And we believe in Jesus who has gone through temptations and trouble, all the temptations like we go through, has won the fight, and has gone before us into heaven to make a way for us and to make room for us. Seeing that Jesus has been tempted in all the ways we are and is able to sympathize with us, let us draw near to his throne to find help in time of need. Psalm 27, 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Thank you.